attention, attention please. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is on the air. Hello and welcome to the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast. My name is Christopher Thomason. I'm your host for this and many, many more trips down memory lane. The Camp Ojibwa History Podcast is a podcast dedicated to collecting the stories, the history, the memories of Camp Ojibwa for Boys in Eagle River, Wisconsin, founded 1928. This week's guest on the podcast, Alan Applecheeks Harris. Alan Harris, the first of three brothers to come to camp uh, from 43 until the 60s. Alan Harris, Herb Turtle Harris, and later Sid Harris. Also, this is the first podcast from the Camp Ojibwe History Podcast National Tour. First one on the road outside of Chicago or the greater Chicagoland area. This podcast uh, took place in Atlanta. I went to Alan's home in Atlanta, Georgia, and visited with him, had a great talk. And so for the next few podcasts, with a couple exceptions, uh, these are going to be the, the podcasts from the road. So I hope you enjoy that. It They became a different experience to be able to go to some of these guys in their home, wherever that may be. Oftentimes guys who were out there farther away, maybe weren't traveling anymore, or possibly hadn't been to camp in 10, 20, sometimes 50 years. So it added a new perspective. And you'll hear some of that start up here. And you'll hear you'll notice that along the way as you hear the talks I had with some of the guys who are out there on the road. A little housekeeping this week. The website is going to have some small changes in the way that the podcast is hosted without boring you with a long story full of technical details basically there's a limit to how many podcasts can be hosted at any given time on the site so as we push closer getting toward our 50th episode we're gonna have to take down some of the originals um the first few take them down i'm going to make them available i'm going to make them where people can get them Uh, i'm not sure what that looks like yet i don't know if uh, it's going to be trying to host it on another site. Uh, it may be possible that what we do is package 10 of them or 20 of them together on a, like a flash drive and you could order that through the website. You could have it, you know, buy the flash drive and have those permanently that way instead of having downloads. Again, I'm not entirely sure what it's going to look like yet, but just wanted to give you a heads up. Um, I also may post one or two of the older first episodes before that happens as well, just to get a chance to kind of get those back in the mix. Okay, enough of the housekeeping. That's that. Here we go. Alan Harris on the Camp Ojibwa History Podcast.
first and foremost, please state your name and years at camp. Uh, my name is Alan S. Harris. I started Camp Ojibwa in 1943. I stayed there until 1949. That was my last year. Excellent. Uh, so how did you first find out about Camp Ojibwa? Well, when I was six years old, which was in 1940, my folks sent me to a camp in Michigan. I don't remember exactly that name, but I only lasted there one year. <laughs> and then from there, they sent me to a camp in Wisconsin called Briar Lodge. Okay. And um, I stayed there 1940, 41, and 42. And there's a cute story about Briar Lodge uh, because uh, one parent's weekend, when my parents came out of Chicago, they brought Reed, Turtle, Kirby mm. with them. And uh, when it was time to go home, he heard me didn't want to go home. <laughs> he says, I want to stay with Alan. Nice. So anyway, it turned out that here was a kid who was four years old staying up at a Camp Briar Lodge. It's the name of that camp. That's incredible. And he, and he stayed up at camp with me and just wouldn't go home. Wow. So that was the first scenario. <laughs> so how did we come to Camp Ojibwa? My folks felt that Briar Lodge was a nice camp, but wasn't really what uh, my parents felt was giving us the real story of camping. Mm. So for somehow, uh, the name Camp Ojibwe came into conversation with my parents. And uh, well, my parents and Al Schwartz, of uh, Al's wife's name. Uh, Pearl. Pearl, yeah. Mm -hmm. He passed away. Um, uh, they went to the same synagogue, so I guess from uh, there, and also the same city club in, in Chicago called the Covenant Club. Ah, yes. So somehow, they seem to think this is the place for Alan and Reed. So then in uh, 1943, we both went up to Camp Ojibwa. I was in cabin five, mm. and Reed was in cabin four. And what was very distinctive about this was that um, in 1943, which was at the height of the war years, sure. they brought in a new camp uh, uh, head of counselors. Head counselor, mm-hmm. Name of Sid Novak. Okay. <laughs> Your boys, Al, know your boys, Sid. <laughs> that was our famous line. So when Reed and I went to camp, that was the first time that Sid Novak came up to Ojibwe. Oh, wow. And that was the beginning of a, a great relationship, not only for us, but for the entire camp. Yeah, I've heard a lot about Sid over the years. Sounds like a pretty unbelievable guy. He's fantastic. Absolutely the best. Very competitive and wanted to see you out there all the time. We go back to what you were saying about uh, Camp Ojibwa. The way I relate to Camp Ojibwa, if you were not an athlete, you didn't go to Camp Ojibwa. <laughs> Forget it. So it was that type of camp. Yeah. And every type of sports, whether it was uh, track and field, swimming, uh, as you say, Collegian Week, watermelon, anything to do with activities, Ojibwa was there. And yeah. you were out there fighting for it all the time. <laughs> So anyhow, um, so in 1943, 
I was in cabin five. Okay. And uh, Reed was in cabin four. And now in those days you took the train up to camp? At the, we took the train in the morning and we got there in the evening. Okay. Dinner at the camp and then get ourselves situated. Nice. And the next day we were on. Right to it. We were going at it. <laughs> Do you have a sense of uh, how many kids were there when you were there? In those, I mean, those early years? Oh, yeah. And we had, um, I believe, 12 cabins. 12 cabins. There was no cabin 13. Not until oh, later. Right. Not until 1947. So there was one through six and then seven through 12. Now, there was only one shower house, which was right off of the kitchen staff. The second time, when the next, uh, when they built the uh, second shower scenario, that was, uh, I believe, in 1947. Mm. And the second one is the one down by the waterfront. By right? the waterfront, that is yeah. correct. So that first, so up until then, everyone goes to the one next to the mess hall. Right. On Saturday, that was wash day. <laughs> you got washed one way or the other. <laughs> right. So, oh, because you do, you were doing dip or shower before that, right? That's right. So you'd either go in the lake or... Right. <laughs> and then Al was out there early in the morning when you got up doing exercises on the beach. And after you got off the beach, you either took a dip in the lake, which was cold, or you went to take a shower. Wow. Now, were you more of a dip guy or more of a shower guy? I was a little bit of both. Okay. And, and <laughs> when it got a little warmer in August and I was in the lake. Sure. But um, otherwise, uh, uh, in the shower, it was nice and warm. Yeah. Uh, early on there, what do you remember about how the day went? Like, what was a camp, a typical camp day? What did that look like? Okay, typical camp day was um, in different sections. In the morning, you Al would do his exercise program with all the campers. Mm -hmm. After that, we'd all go into the mess hall for breakfast. Clean up the cabins get ready for morning activities. And morning activities, basically in those days, if you didn't play baseball, you were missing it. That was oh. it. So it was a lot of action in the baseball fields, as yeah. you can imagine. Also, there was other sports like archery. We even had horseback riding. The stables were out by the, uh, way by, out by, uh, near the beginning of the camp. Okay, had, uh, I think it's what, where we would talk about the far field now. Right. But, mm -hmm. Also, there was arts and crafts. We had a bit of that. Mm -hmm. You had to go to that. <laughs> you liked it or not. <laughs> and I didn't like it, but yeah. I, when, you, you used to make these lanterns that you put around your neck. Oh, chains. sure. So then uh, that was the morning period. You would basically break into two periods. And then be track and field. In volleyball, boxing, mm. then there'd be lunch. And lunch would start either 12 or 12.30, last about 30, 40 minutes, and then back to your cabins for a rest period. And that would last, and then the counselors and the junior counselors would get a chance to play ball. Ah. And if... And if and if you were lucky, they would pick one or two seniors to join them. Very nice. And I was always joining them. <laughs> That's quite an honor. That means you were a pretty good athlete. 
Well, I'll show you a few things later. <laughs> so then, <clears throat> then the afternoon program would be uh, divided up into teams, and you would have certain types of activities along that line. Um, there would be tennis, basketball, and they would divide you into red or white. Okay. You know, the colors of... Uh, now, if you were red or white, were you, did you continue to be red or white all summer long? All summer long. I see. Okay. And then, uh, then in the later afternoon, there would be uh, swim time. So you'd go down to the beach, and you'd have free swim, nice. so on and so forth. Dinner would start around 5, 5.30, because we were on different times than, 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 uh, than the town, uh, than and Eagle River. Yeah. So they were on one time uh, and we were on another time. Right. We were on, I guess we were on daylight second time. <laughs> so then uh, it would be about six o'clock and then there would be treats. And uh, you would get a candy bar, line up for a candy bar. And then they would have um, your watermelon league and your um, pineapple league. Mm -hmm. So that would be the activities in the evening. And it was mainly baseball okay and that's the the oldest guys and then like the second oldest guys right. sort of right it was the uh the watermelon league was the seniors it started out the pioneers were the real small kids mm -hmm. cabins one two maybe three and four then cabin five which was us at the time were midgets okay and then seven eight nine were the juniors and then 10 11 12 were the seniors ah okay so the seniors were basically the watermelon right. league at that time. That makes sense. Um, so that, that's how it was divided up in 1943. Yeah, for sure. Now, when you were on a team, you were talking about doing the team sports and the red and white. Um, if you had whatever your basketball team was, let's say, or is it the same five guys all summer long? All summer you long were the same, would be on same the same group. team. And it would be basically either a counselor or a junior counselor would head up the team. Gotcha. They wouldn't play, but they would coach? Sometimes, uh, in, as I remember, in collegiate week, they played. Ah. And in Watermelon, the, in the senior, the junior counselor played, which I will show you. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and we're talking, just to clarify, when you're saying baseball, we're talking the big 16-inch softballs, right? Certainly. The clinchers. <laughs> because most of the kids were from Chicago. Right. I'd say anywhere from 90 to 95% came out of Chicago. So that was the name of the game in Chicago. That was it. 16 inch clincher, <laughs> big time. Now, in the cabin, how many counselors do you have in your cabin? You had a senior counselor and you had a, a junior counselor. Okay. And then that's that's it. That it takes it. care of the crew. And about how, do you remember how many kids roughly in your cabin? Well, I can show you and we could count it if you want. <laughs> but I can show you how many kids were Wonderful. as I'm saying in yeah. 1943. Um there were about 10 or 12. But when cabin 13 came along, then you had more. Mm. This was cabin 4, uh -huh. where Reed was. Okay, so it looks like there's about 12 guys, twelve kids and uh Counselor and Junior Counselor. And junior counselor. All right. And this was our oh, cabin. Very nice. Now, are you... Um, so these are your guys. Do you are you friends? Did you stay friends with these guys over the years? Well, a few of them 
quite a few of them have passed away. Sure. But one fellow that I saw a couple of years ago at a basketball tournament down here in Atlanta was Cordy Bartlestein. Mm. The, yeah, the Bart- Bartlesteins were pretty good athletes, too, from what right. I've heard. The Bartlesteins were like the Kennedys of uh, <laughs> the political world. Gotcha. The Bartlesteins had two cousins, Gordy, who was a real star athlete, who was a senior at that time, and Irv. They were cousins. Mm. Then a couple down was Aaron Bartlestein. That was... That was um, Gordy's and uh, also uh, Hank, Hank's mm. uh, brothers. Gotcha. And then also in our area, there was Mackey. So there was Irv and Mackey, two brothers. And then you had Hank, you had Aaron, and you had Cordy. Wow. So you had a big bottle scene. Yeah. And in those family. Are, it was a lot smaller camp. And even today, if we had five guys from the same family, that's a big, that's a big, big chunk. T- 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 <laughs> right. Um, and I see Richard Elrod as well. Uh, Steve, okay. Steve, we've already uh, his son. Um, I've right. already interviewed him right. along the way, and then his grandson, Daniel, was one of my campers gotcha. along the way. So it's always great to see how it just just keeps going. Though I did have a chance to meet Cordy at this uh, collegiate basketball team. His grandson was the captain of the Michigan basketball team, oh, and the final four was in uh, Atlanta. So I had a chance to meet with Cordy and his wife, who knew me better than Cordy, but Cordy and I were campmates. Mm. Um, they uh, they were down here for the tournament. Cordy flew his family down here for the tournament. His son was the captain of the team. They won the semifinals, and now they're in the finals. Cordy says, are you going there? I said, yeah, I had tickets, because he said I had a couple extra tickets. I said, that's fine. But I did get a chance to sit have breakfast, have brunch, I should say, with the Michigan basketball team. I'm standing there with the bad Michigan basketball team. I look like a goddamn midget. My five, seven and a half, five, eight, maybe, stretching me. I couldn't, I couldn't touch their heads. My life depended on They looked at me like, who is this kid? But it was a lot of fun, and they got a kick out of it, and I got a kick out of it. I'm sure. That's amazing. And that was amazing. We had a good time. Um, Gordy's son, Mark, is a big um, agent, a sport agent in Chicago, Mm. and a very close friend of mine, a fellow by the name of uh, Todd Franz, who is a good friend of mine, is a big agent down here, and they kind of compete against each Uh. other. And there's a cute story about Todd France. Todd France and I belong to the same country club. So one day we're having lunch. This is seven, eight, nine years ago, maybe even ten years ago. So Todd's family lived in Chicago. And then Todd's father, Jerry, and his wife, Linda, moved the family down to Atlanta for business-wise. So one day at lunch, uh, Todd is telling me, he says, you know, I went to camp with Jibba. I said, oh, that's great. I said, I went to camp with Jibba too. It's a little different time-wise, because <laughs> I'm older than his father. So so he says to me, he says, you know, he says, I was a number one pick in collegiate week in my senior year with my 
I said, well, that's great, Todd. But I got one better for you, Todd. I was number one pick for Collegian Week two years in a row. <laughs> wow. <laughs> that's a big deal. That was a big that is deal. that is not something that's been accomplished very often at Camp Ojibwa. So um, that was a little story about Todd. <laughs> uh, so it seems that you uh, you really took to the sports. Yeah, um, my career at Camp Ojibwa, and the one that really can tell you a little bit about me is Mickey. Mm. I mean, Mickey was fairly young, but he he related a little bit to what I was doing at Camp Ojibwa. I was the uh, fair-haired sports boy. Mm. When I was a midget, I was playing with the juniors, and when I was a juniors, I was playing with the seniors. And I, I dominated the track and field. Mm. And that's how I was being picked number one collegiately. Gotcha. Um, in this little brochure that Jason made up, and um, in watermelon, the as you can see, I was not a camp. I was a camper and won that. The next year, in nineteen, oh, this is the basketball. Oh, this is dramatic. We'll get <laughs> to that for sure. And then in watermelon league in nineteen forty nine, which I was a junior counselor, as you can see. I was the coach. Very and nice. Played, played the, with the team. So I went back to back. Not too, not too shabby. And then in 1949, I was the assistant coach and won Collegiate Week. So I won Collegiate Week and and Watermelon League in 1949. Wow, which not too many. No, that's a that's a pretty good record. <laughs> Sports-wise, what, what was uh, softball your favorite sport? In those days, what football is today to this world, and I played football in high school and college, hmm. but um, baseball, if you didn't play baseball coming out of Chicago, which was the 16-inch 16 16-inch 16 ball, right. the clincher, you could forget about it. <laughs> that, was, that was the name of the game. That was it. So, um, What position? I started out at shortstop. I played a lot of shortstop. And then as I got older, <laughs> my senior years, not at Camp Ojibwe, but <laughs> I went to left field. I had a little harder time picking up ground balls. Sure. But I but I still played shortstop. But that's, that was it. I mean, I basically was a, how should you, I put it as, a, I was a grubber. In other words, I was like a Charlie Hustle, uh, Pete Rose mm. type of player. Gotcha. A lot of singles, a lot of doubles, always action. I sure. You know, Got to win all the time. And you mentioned the track already, so you're obviously fast. So oh, that's helping you. So fast. you're running out there. I was the fastest guy at, at Ojibwe, so I could move around there real fast. Yeah. And we had some very good athletes, ball players. A fellow by the name of Larry Lerman. Uh, trying to think of some of the other ones. Uh, Mm-hmm. That were outstanding ball players, but uh, we had a, a fellow by the name of Buddy Cohn. He played ball at Latin, okay. Chicago Latin. Mm-hmm. Um, Bob Chats. We had the two Chats brothers. I think Bob has passed away as an attorney. 
in my uh, first year at camp, we had a lot of counselors that were leaving that left for the service. Sure, of course. Um, as you notice here in the uh, booklet, we didn't have Kevin Fine. We had a JC counselor, oh. Mark, but we didn't have our senior counselor because he went in the service. His name was Buddy Horwich, outstanding mm. ball player. I kind of miss the Horwiches, Lenny Heyman, Bobby Holub, because they they were in '42. Mm. They were the the hot shots. Gotcha. And I we didn't come until '43, so we kind of passed each other. Okay, so those guys were finishing up camp as you were coming in. As we were coming in. So switching gears just a little bit. Yes. Uh, you so you have a younger brother come to camp. Now, how's what's that like for you? Are you having to kind of look out for him, or is he sort of doing his own thing? He's kind of doing his own thing, but in the later years, um, in the uh, Watermelon League of nineteen forty nine, I brought him on the team. Oh, that's great. Because so in other words, you you would pick you would if you were had number one pick of the uh, of the uh, counselors, you had the last pick of the campers mm. and kind of worked around that circle. Gotcha. So I knew that Reed could eventually be a great ball player. He was, and we won a lot of championships together, Reed and I. Yes. He played short center, and I played shortstop. Very so nice. So it was very nice. And um, it turned out to be very, to be very honest with you, Chris, um, when I became a junior counselor, as great as a camper I was, I became a real dud as a junior counselor. <laughs> I, I wanted to be a camper. I call, I was calling my parents, I don't like this waiting on the tables. Forget it. I want to be out there playing ball. I don't want to wait on the tables. Sure. It's a lot of work. Right. And all this, I, you know. So anyway... <laughs> Was they, that your first job? Huh? Was that your first job? More or less. Mm -hmm. But it, as I grew older, uh, when I was going, uh, when I was in, in my senior years in high school, I became a counselor at day camps in Chicago. Mm. But see, I didn't have the responsibility of the kids all around the clock. Right. At five, at eight o'clock in the morning, you picked them up in the station wagon. The first couple of years, I couldn't drive because you had to be twenty-one. To get your license <laughs> as a chauffeur, mm. and then when I got that, for the next couple of years, we would pick up the kids around eight o'clock in the morning, and then by four thirty in the afternoon, we've been taking them home. So, I was free to play ball. <laughs> I was playing ball seven days a week in different tournaments in Chicago because yeah. that's you know how it was. And then on Saturday and Sunday there was no camp, so that was my free time to play ball. Nice. So that was, so I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed that, but uh, I just quite didn't make it as a, in fact, Sid Novak was ready to throw me out of my behind. Wow. And I was his boy. <laughs> I was saying, I'm sure Sid loved you as a camper. He liked the oh, athletes, he, for he, sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, because I was a jock. I want you out there, but that's fine. I want to play ball. So that was fine. But once I became a junior counselor. It was a different ballgame, <laughs> which Mickey can tell you a little bit about, I think. 
if he remembers. Yeah. Do you remember who your senior counselor was when you were in the cabin? I tell you the truth, to be honest with you, I might have had this fellow man named Hal Patter. Okay. And there's a cute story about Hal Patter. Super nice guy. Played nice ball. His daughter, when I was president of Van Klein, which my later years in business world, and I was in Chicago, his daughter was a buyer at Marshall Fields. Hmm. And I came in for a meeting, and the young lady says her name is, I don't remember her first name, she says Patter. I said, any relation to Hal Patter? She says, that's my dad. So then I told her the <laughs> stories about Camp Ojibwe. She got a kick out of it. Yeah, it never ceases to amaze me how far the, the tentacles of Camp Ojibwe can yeah, reach. Right. It oh, really yeah. is true. Um, listen, it's it was a it was a love affair. And then I came back for postseason. The first time was in nineteen sixty. Mm. Sixty and sixty one. I was gonna ask if you did some of the post years. Yes, and I will go on. So then I uh, took up my youngest brother, uh, Reed was finishing law school and was studying for his bar in 1960, and also was getting married. Mm. There's a cute story about that, but I don't even know if I want to mention that in this. <laughs> but I will. I'll mention it. <laughs> it's, it's cute. Um, I was dating a girl. Oh, I got married in 1955. Okay. My last year in college at Drake University where I played ball. So anyhow... Um, at those days, the girls went to college for one reason. Remember? To get, get the married. WED, as it were. <laughs> but then those days, marry a nice Jewish boy with money. Sure. So anyway, when I was going to college, and all I wanted to do was get four years under my belt, bingo. Because in those days, to be honest with you, Chris, being a doctor, they made house calls for $10 a visit. No great shakes. Right. Being a dentist, they sat, they stood up straight up with, in the chair there. Nothing. And a CPA, he sat on a stool playing with numbers. <laughs> so those, <laughs> if you didn't go into the business world, you could forget it. Yeah. So, um, and then that time I was in ROTC, you had to go into service. Oh, of course. Yeah. So this girl that I was dating, uh, says to me, well, what's going to be, you know, let's get married. Married, I th thought, was you live at your house, I'll live at my house. <laughs> That's what I thought marriage was about. I think and, it's a lot easier if you do it that way. <laughs> and, and in those days, you never went to bed. Right. The girl, I mean, that was no way, especially in the Jewish world. Sure. So, so eventually... I got married, and uh, I was going to the service. I had about three weeks before reporting. So we first went to Hawaii. Then we went to L.A. Uh, we went First we went to San Francisco, then to Hawaii, then L.A., then Las Vegas. And because my parents and her parents were friendly at the Sands Hotel, the Sands Hotel was like, the hotel, this is 1956. Oh, sure, of course, yeah. All the celebrities were there. That's where Sinatra hung out. My family was friendly with Sinatra. So what was going on there, we were invited to all the parties. It was fun and games. We flew back on a Monday night, 
Tuesday, I, I was time to report for service. Wednesday, I was off. Wow. I'm dating this girl. I get divorced. I'm dating this girl back in Chicago. We made a, we made every headline in the city of Chicago. I can show you press clippings. <laughs> because divorces in those days had a popular thing. Right. So Reed says to me, he says, boy, he says, Alan, I certainly would like to date Marlene. That was the name of the girl that I had gone with for a couple of years. Mm. And I had been already married one time. I wasn't looking to get married again, but she was with me. So he starts dating her. A couple of months later, at that same time, our youngest brother, Sidney, is getting bar mitzvah. Mm. So Reed tells me that he and Marlene and they're going to get married right after Sydney's bar mitzvah. I said, that's fine. I said, I said, that'll be interesting, but I don't want to make any more comments about it. Sure. So in June of 1960, Reed is graduating law school, passing his bar, and getting married all at the same time to this girl. So anyway, um, I'm the best man at the wedding, and it's a very nice wedding, and it's like the ambassador feast. It was a great time. I'm thinking to myself, well, we'll see how that goes. Anyway, whatever. That lasted about nine months. Oh. And that was the end of that marriage. Oh, boy. <laughs> So my mother was thinking to herself, here I got two losers <laughs> in the marriage department. My eldest oh. son and my middle son. <laughs> so anyhow, um, so then uh, at the same time, uh, I get out of service. So I say to my father, I said, uh, well, why don't you make me a vice president? He said, maybe you ought to go out, go out and get a real job, a real job. What was that all about? I mean, the only job I had was a senior counselor at the day camp, you know. Sure. Making $100 a week. It was good money in those days. Yeah, in the 50s. That, that's not bad money for, yeah. yeah, for sure. Five days a week and you didn't have, you know. So then uh, I said, but my parents were in the uh, real estate business. And they, were, they weren't really agents or anything like that or brokers. All basically they did was go on around and collect rents. Mm. It wasn't my cup of tea. So eventually I went for to work for a company called Swank, which is the world's largest, at the time, was the world's largest men's accessory house, mm. which was belts and leather goods and cufflinks and so on and so forth. Yeah. So I went to work for them in the late 60s, middle 60s. And uh, so I had couple weeks for summer vacation or whatever it was. So we went up to camp for both seasons and spent a week. I, at that time, I took my youngest brother, Sidney, and uh, his boyfriend, and the three of us went up to camp with Jim. And in those days, in the 1960s, it was still baseball. And we were playing baseball morning, noon, and evening. And nice. That was great. It was fun, and the guys were great. And had a great time. So what I one thing I like to ask everyone is, you know, um, oh, I did go back to camp mm. on, on that other time period. 
Cobb in the 70s, 75, 76, 77. And in those days, we went back to camp. It was all tennis, morning, noon, and night. Hmm. I mean, if you didn't play tennis, forget it. What were you doing at postseason? <laughs> they were doing the tournaments and things like that at that point? Yeah, some of the tournaments at that time. But it was all tennis. Once in a while, they played ball, but very rarely. Hmm. It, it was all tennis. Hmm. But uh, my last year up at postseason, I brought this girl that I was dating. So Pearl says to me, you're not sleeping in the same cabin. I said, no problem, Pearl. We have no problem with that. So she sat, she stayed in the uh, in the lodge with Pearl and mm. where the Novak stayed and so on and so forth. And I stayed in cabin 13. That was fun. Yeah, it's great. That was fun. <laughs> So we stayed a week, and then uh, she had enough of that Campo Jobo, you know. Yeah. For me, it was a nice memory. Um, so going back a little bit to camp, uh, yes. I I saw when we were looking through your photos a dramatics plaque. So yes, okay. I told you I was brought in to be right. the theater guy. Okay. Um, so I always love to hear about that stuff. Okay. In our first year, my first year, 1943, uh, we won Cabin Sing. Cabin Fine. That's, that's, that was unbelievable. It's a pretty young cabin to win Kevin yeah. Sing. And this guy, Kenny Bernstein, who um, became a close friend of mine, um, and that's a story by itself, um, had a great voice. He was like the lead singer. Mm -hmm. We were the back, back, back one. And we were dynamite. He sang, uh, Sweet Low, Sweet Chariot, Heaven for to carry me home. Sweet little sweet chariot. Never for to carry me home. And uh, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, he had to sing two songs. And um, and then then the next year in nineteen in nineteen forty four, he again won Cabin Sing, which was unbelievable, back to back, again featuring Kenny's voice. <laughs> But I can't remember the songs we sang at that time. But that was our dramatics. And then uh, also um, the minstrel show. Well, I was going to ask, was the minstrel show already happening when you were started? Yes, sir. And it was um, it was the big night. Yeah. There was nothing like the minstrel show. Oh. <laughs> and, but it was dominated basically by the juniors and seniors. Sure. And the staff. Course. And uh, let's see what else did we? And then during collegiate week, you had to put on a show because you got points for. Right, you had to do a, a stunt. You had to do a stunt. Yeah. Oh. Any of those stick out? Is uh, particularly memorable? I, I, all I could think of was trying to get through the stunt with Sherman. <laughs> thinking of myself, oh my god, how could you put me in this position? <laughs> So he wrote it and put and wrote you into it. Wrote me into it. Oh <laughs> gosh, Fred. He said, "Okay." Oh, I was so happy to get through it. Oh. <laughs> and it was tough. It was really tough, to be honest with you, Chris. Um, but I knew that we had to get the points because it was touch and go. Sure. I mean, you can only get so many points for the activities, and and the last day of. Um, Legion week, which was Sunday, started on Monday morning, close to Sunday. Mm -hmm. You had uh, your track and field, you had uh, your obstacle course. Oh, of course. And I had to run the um, 
the long distance part. Ah, I'm, I'm dying, and I'm thinking to myself, I get it. I'm going to kill you. And, and, and I'm the junior counselor, mm. so I'm taking the hardest part of the course. Right, of course. So we get through this, and again, it's touch and go. And then in the afternoon, we had the swim meet, and we, came, we got through that. And then Sunday night, they announced who the winner was. And it was Wisconsin, which right. was our team. And the reason it was Wisconsin, I think Fred, if I'm not mistaken, was going to the University of Wisconsin. Oh, very nice. Yeah, he was going to Wisconsin. These days, the... Um the three bottom, there are 12 teams each season, and the three teams with the lowest points get taken out of Collegiate Week. For the following year, we put three new teams in. Hmm. So That's we did, Yeah, because uh, for many years, the schools didn't change. It was the same 12 schools or whatever, so they wanted yeah. to mix it up it a little bit. It was basically the Big Ten. Yeah. And we had USC. Yeah. I don't know about Notre Dame. I don't think so. Yeah. Notre Dame was there when I got there, and the service schools came in, Army, Air Force, oh, we didn't have, no, Navy. No, no. Those guys came in. Um, I think they came in because the songs are so great. Yes. So I think that was why they found their way really, in. I guess really, we had a couple of people that came out of uh, Ojibwa in the 60s. If you remember this, should I ask what you... <laughs> well, I'm not old enough to have remembered the 60s, but I know a little bit about camp's history. Because there's um, this gentleman who went to Camp Ojibwa, dramatics, a singer. Are we talking about Alan Sherman? Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, he was... Uh, he hit it pretty big. Oh, I would say so. <laughs> that that one song really... Uh, Clicked and um, Hello Mata Hello Father, uh, yeah. which is the famous camp song, on the album itself, he actually thanks Camp Ojibwa. Oh, does because he? he hadn't been a, um, he had been there as a junior counselor, Maybe. something for two yeah. years. There's a lot of guys that uh, came up later. Yeah. One of the guys that was very successful as a uh, staff member was uh, Ralph Silver. Okay. And also, um, Another staff member, also camp manager, Zion uh, Ralph, was a, a, a fellow that bought Agawa, the women's. Yes, that's uh, Sonny Gilbert. Sonny, uh, actually, Sonny and I have already done one of these, and uh, okay. it was real. I had no idea that he had he bought Agawa, so that was a little bit of a surprise as we were talking. And at him. one time, with my parents, when Sonny was interested in selling the camp, hmm. my parents, you know, buying it from me. Ah. Boy, am I glad we didn't go into that much. <laughs> yeah. It's a beautiful camp, though. I mean, Agawa is really gorgeous. Oh, it's I'm gorgeous. They, you know, we have a very specific thing at Ojibwe where the cabins have the campus in the middle of all right. the cabins. And that's a very specific thing to us. And none of the other camps really do that. So we're special in that way. But Agawak, um, the cabins are all through the woods. Right. But there are big paths in the woods. And then right. they have a fantastic waterfront as well. So right. it's a beautiful camp. So they're still in business. Huh? They're still in business, trucking away. It's amazing. Yeah. We have them over every... Well, we either have them come to us or we go to them every summer for a little uh, get-together. Oh, because in our day... Did you do that in your day? Did the girls' camps come over at all? Or? No way. <laughs> Pearl oh, would never let that happen. No way we have any girls, girls coming <laughs> over to Camp Ojibwe. We're going over there. What, are you kidding me? 
Uh, I was going to ask, as a as a young man, did you did you have a relationship with Alan Pearl, or was it as a young camper? Would they try to be personal with you, or was it more just like they're the boss and you're there? Well, my uh, this friend of mine is Kenny Bernstein. He he had a crush on Pearl. Mm. Uh, my my direction wasn't that way. I, I thought of Pearl like a mother or an aunt or something. Sure. And I think about her as a girlfriend. <laughs> But he did, Kenny. He he would tell me, he said, boy, I got the hots for Pearl. I told him, I said, what, are you kidding me? <laughs> well, you know, it's a long summer, and there's not a lot of women up there. A couple of things I like to ask everyone yeah. toward the end. Sure. Um, well, I should say, we covered your collegiate week. Did you only win one time? One time. You So you went one, what we call it now is 1-1. One, one. So you're the first pick of the first team. So you're the first pick player in the first what you call going very first in, in collegiate week, they call it now the 1-1. One, one. So there's rounds of drafting. We draft the whole camp. So you went 1-1 one, one twice in a row. So that's huge. You won collegiate week once. So tell me a great collegiate week story, if you can remember one. Well, I kind of thought about it. Collegiate week is very competitive. And everybody's fighting for that number one spot. And it's touch and go on all the activities during the week. Mm. Whether you were playing volleyball, basketball, baseball, track and field, swim meet, uh, stunt shows, whatever it was, it was do or die for good old Wisconsin. Sure. And we weren't going to give up at any time. So Fred, who was a kind of a nice guy, but a little bit, um, how should I put it, a uh, little soft sell. Okay. I was more the aggressor one. I said, <laughs> you're going to get out there and you're going to win this game, and there's no ands, ifs, and buts. Fred didn't quite look at it that way. Mm. He said, we want to win Collegiate Weekend. That was it. Yeah. No matter what we had to do, I want to play fair. Always play fair. That's the way we play the game. But we're going to win. And I, I riled up the guys, and I got them excited about what the honor would be for them to go home with. Sure. Winning collegiate week because in those days it was like being an Ojibwe brave, which I can say. It was top of the top of the ladder. That was it. You won Collegiate Week, you stood on a, a different sphere. Watermelon League, that was fine. But Collegiate Week was the, was the thing. And being the assistant coach, I try to tell my team that we got to do everything we can to beat the other team. But fair, always be. Yes. Because that's, that was the name of the game. You, did, you mentioned the Braves. So now the Braves are... They were around when you started, still, or, or already, I should say. Yeah, the the Ojibwe Braves. That was that was uh, very special. I mean, being an Ojibwe Brave, holy mackerel! So my first year, we were in Cabin Five. There was no nothing, nothing, not yet. So now we're in Cabin Seven. So in those days, you had three uh, powwows. 
first power, second power, and a third power. So the first power, no one has picked from right yet. Except the second power, I picked, period. Nice. That was a big honor. And then the third power, I think they had one or two guys more from my thing. But I always had the honor of being the number one pick in the Jibble Brave. And a Jibble Brave in those days, oh, wow, good time. Yeah. So now, so now I'm in camp 43, 44, and 45. 46 is the year I'm going to miss my folks take us to California for the summertime. So mm -hmm. we're going to camp 46. So now I'm in military school, as you saw. And uh, I said, military school is nice, but forget it. I said, oh, I'm in eighth grade in military school. They had, at St. John's, you had eighth grade and then four years of high school. Mm -hmm. And Kenny Bernstein winds up being my roommate at St. John's. And he was in his first year in, in high school because he was ahead of me year-wise. I mean, age-wise. He was uh, turning whatever he turned in February, and I turned in May. So then we, uh, we finish, I finished my first year at St. John's Military School I said to my parents, no way. <laughs> I spent one year here. That's it. So by crook, nook or crook, he, he got me into Rutrier High School. Mm. And I became captain of the Rutrier football team. Quite an honor. Mm. And then back to Ojibwe. Nice. So now... That summer, we go back to Ojibwe, which is in 46, 47. And that's the year that they have Cabin 13 and a new shower house, okay. which is on the beach. Yeah. And uh, that year, they make me in the Braves, the trailer of the... The, the keeper the, or the guardian of the trail? Right. Ah. Okay, now I'm thinking to myself, well, next year I would have... And that's, so that year, in 1947, I'm the number one pick for collegiate. That's quite an honor. And I'm only, you know, but I'm the best athlete out there. They're going with me. But we don't win. <laughs> the next year, they picked me again for collegiate. And again, we don't win. Mm. But then... Forty that was forty-eight. And then in forty-nine, I'm the coach and I win because I also play. Right. The way it was worked, either the coach either the coach could play or the assistant coach could play. Mm -hmm. So Sherman was letting me play most of the time, which was fine. Yeah. Which I love, you know. I was like a camper then. I was, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you got it back and you got and you got your trophy. Yeah, I got my trophy. So now that you're um, now you're a grown up, how um, how would you say that going to Camp Ojibwa and your experiences there affected My the, life? the rest that came? Yeah, I learned a lot about life at Camp Ojibwa. How to play the game, how to be 
let us with people, how to look them straight in the eye, how to think very highly of life and what life has to offer. I, uh, the relationships at camp were great. The people, uh, I didn't make the 50th anniversary, but I did make the 75th anniversary mm. uh, at that time. And, uh, the relationships with Dick Elrod, who I felt very bad for when I saw him. We would go to the same barbershop when I would come into Chicago. So mm. I would get a chance to see him there and they would always get and how he would talk about me. And uh, it was just a it was just a wonderful thing about Campbell Jr. And uh, and Al and Pearl, they were the best. And Sid and uh, his wife uh, uh, Sid, I think it was Ellen. Ellen's daughter. Daughter. Yeah. Uh, Sid and... Ross is the other Ross, sister. Right, right. I mean, the two girls. The one daughter I knew fairly well. She still knows me. Mm-hmm. Ellen. The yeah. oldest daughter. She remembered me. Because they were at the camp. They were staying at the camp at Chippewa. Oh, sure. Yeah, 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 of course. They were, uh, they were fantastic. Al and Sid played off of each other. They're your boys, Sid. No, Al, they're your boys. It was, <laughs> it was an evening, evening dinner, you know. Okay, take it away, Al. No, Al, no, Sid, you take it away. <laughs> so we always got, we always cared about that. And everybody was very, um, very respectful of each other. There was no, you know, I mean, you learn how to respect people. So on. And I mean, you were a brave, or when you were a senior at Camp Ojibwe, or so on and so forth. That was very respectful of each other. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think that about wraps this part up anyway. I cannot thank you enough for doing this. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much. Okay, that is it. Another one in the books. Alan Harris. Interesting stories. Alan and I spent probably two more hours talking, and he had a ton of great pictures and some of his uh, trophies and memorabilia from camp. Even though camp was a long time ago for him, it was clear that uh, he really loved it, and it was something that mattered a lot to him in the big picture, which was awesome. Okay, if you want to get in touch with the podcast, you know how. Drop me an email, Christopher at CampOjibwahistory.org, or just stop by the website, www.CampOjibwahistory.org. It's a beautiful day here in Paris, Kentucky. A balmy 75 degrees, the sun is shining, the birds are singing. I can't think of a better situation in which to go outside and have a cigar. <laughs>